the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kieran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. This week we're in the world of branding. And this partly came about because the BBC have recently announced plans to launch four new radio stations. And rather than create a whole new set of BBC names, they've decided they're going to be sort of spin-offs from Radios 1, 2 and 3. And they're looking at uh, Radio 1 having Radio 1 dance. And also Radio 3 is going to have calming classical music to help one unwind at the end of the day. Um, These plans are all examples of brand extension. So taking an idea, the BBC, and extending what they do. And we thought this week we would discuss that further. So I'm delighted to welcome chartered marketer, consultant and educator and a very popular guest on the show, Thomas McAlinden. Thomas, welcome back. Could we start with talking a little bit about what brand extension means? Okay. um, well, thanks again. Firstly, Kieran, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here um, and, as I say, get to do this because I thoroughly enjoy it. But brand extension uh, as you know, is something that I'm really passionate and interested about. And it's about where we take uh, a brand name, an established brand name, and we, in essence, apply that to new products or services, in essence, to enter either existing categories or indeed new categories. So in essence, we try and uh, do that to leverage, in essence, the brand equity of a, of, of a parent brand. So let's talk about brand equity, because that's quite an, it's an interesting phrase in and of itself. And I know the PhD thesis are written about brand equity. But what do we mean by that? OK, um, brand equity for different perspectives and how it's been looked at from um, kind of consumer based brand equity model by Keller or Acres view on brand equity. It's in essence talking about how we add this added value, as it were, to a product or service. Because brand becomes, in, this, in essence, this intangible asset. And it's our job as marketers and, and brand managers to try and create that. So in order to create brand equity, it's a byproduct of making sure then that we make people aware that we exist. And we talk about brand awareness, which is we need to make sure with a target market that they're aware that we exist to even think about us and consider us. But then also with it, of those that are aware that we exist that what what do they think of us? Because what we're trying to do is create these kind of positive, strong brand associations. And in essence, it's the marketing and brand manager's job to make sure that they continually do that from their use then of the, the marketing mix. Uh, and again, that's product, price, place, promotion. And if it's a service-based organisation, then you've got the additional three Ps of people, process and physical evidence. And from using that, it can help uh, with regards to shaping the, the perception of the brand in the consumer's mind and reinforcing the intended brand positioning. So this is, rather than buying a generic toothpaste, I choose to buy Colgate toothpaste or Sensodyne toothpaste mm-hmm. because I trust the brand will give me a bright smile or clean my teeth or keep me away from the dentist or whatever those, those associations are that I've got with it. And that's the brand equity that Colgate and Sensodyne bring. Yeah, so you've yeah, exactly. So you've got with regards to the trust that you have and, and the familiarity that you have with those, as opposed to perhaps even even a new brand or indeed a retailer own label, some of, of kind of the unknown, and that in essence has been built up and taken time because the the marketer or brand manager and and the parent company that owns that brand has 
spent time in essence with their brand building activities, i.e. made sure that you're aware that it exists. Hopefully in a specific buying situation, we talk about brand salience, that you consider that brand and think about it um, and, and hopefully then buy it. And hopefully as well that you th- the reason you're doing so is because you've got specific associations with that brand, i.e. you think about it in a certain way. And that's shaped by, most likely, what you've heard from other people, your own use and experience of that brand and its products and services, um, as well as what the company and and brand itself has has been saying to you. So one of the things I hear sometimes students saying is, this is all very well in the consumer industry when you're buying Colgate toothpaste, but it doesn't refer to B2B. And I think you and I would passionately disagree with that, but I think there are very definitely strong B2B brands. Yeah, you've got loads. Just look at, uh, in essence, you talk about LinkedIn, I've got a whole B2B, um, in essence, marketing institute. And again, they also look at, with regards to B2B branding, using the same principles that are utilised within business-to-consumer brands and using that, even things like uh, storytelling in business-to-consumer B2C brands um, do this all the time. And B2B brands have, over the past few years, started to then adopt in essence these same elements that are successful in a b2c context to b2b so there, there are some similar some differences but there's more similarity than than perhaps one might think and again it's all about trust isn't it it's about understanding what that brand stands for and having a trust in them yeah of course it's about trust we talk about a brand being to do with sort of feelings and perceptions as well as having an actual product or a service so can we just explore that a little bit because i think that's quite important when you come to brand extension yeah so firstly with regards to understanding what a brand is and making sure we understand how it differs versus unbranded counterpart um I suppose Al Akenbaum said it best with regards to, the, the, in essence, the difference between the two is the sum of the, the feelings and perceptions that one has to a brand as opposed to, in essence, just a generic product commodity. And that is shaped based upon the, the actions, as it were, of the brand owner trying to, in essence, appeal to you, resonate with you and engage with you on uh, arguably an emotional level. And we can try and get, in essence, uh, consumers and customers to, in essence, feel, um, particularly even when we talk about even the use of storytelling and and narrative branding uh, to to help do that as well. But ultimately, it's that that feeling which and and the perception that people have is what will then help influence, in essence, your decision-making. As I say, I use, uh, as part of the the teaching with with different uh, students, um, I show them the difference, for example, like Happy Egg Co. and eggs that you might get from Asda or any other major multiple retailer. And and I ask them to, in essence, choose. And some will choose the, the unbranded ones for price, but some other ones choose Happy Egg Co. because when they think of that and they hear that brand name, um, they also then start thinking these little chickens are spreading their wings and, and having a great mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. and that then makes them feel something. It makes them feel happy, but also with regards to them buying that, perhaps there's less guilt as opposed to buying perhaps caged hen eggs. I know that's most certainly the case in this house because I'm, I'm a typical Scotsman. I'm either, I hate spending money, but I'm not allowed to buy, um, in essence, some of these caged hen eggs. I've got to buy free range, happy <laughs> egg co, um, but because of the perception that my wife has of, of that particular brand. Mm-hmm. 
And when we were talking beforehand, you talked a little bit about signaling theory and signaling theory being one of the things that you can use to shape these associations. Yeah, so signaling theory is where a a seller uh, or the the brand owner or the company that owns the brand, it's how they then communicate and and communicate with you. And that then helps from their marketing communications and how they, in essence, communicate the quality of their products or services. And this isn't just with regards to like eggs and talking about how perhaps they might taste better as well as the other elements to consider about these eggs, uh, sorry, these chickens having a, a happier life. It could also be like companies telling you about um, their service delivery and how fast it might be versus others. And they, they tell you that. Obviously, they need to live up to any promise that in essence they make. But that's what we talk about with regards to them sending out a signal in essence, a message um, to, to try and communicate and, I suppose, highlight to you the quality of their products and services. So brands are creating these sort of feelings and these perceptions and they're signalling those through signalling theory. How do you then decide whether you should, how you can extend your brand? So, so extending your brand is a, a difficult decision, in essence, to make. Um, in, in the literature and when you read, you'll see that there's different types of extensions from line extension versus brand extension. Um, I like to think about it a little bit differently in the sense when you're extending the brand, you in essence can do it through two means. You can extend it within the same category that you're in. So let's say um, Cathedral City with, with cheese and they do everything within cheese. Uh, we talk about that's in essence a line extension. Right, it's within the same category or indeed you can do something in an entirely new category something that perhaps you're not known for so let's say it would be uh, Cathedral City cheese flavoured crisps right? <laughs> totally different category now that comes down to a couple of decisions that the organisation needs to make based upon risk but also quite crucially um making sure we understand what the consumers think of and what they associate with this brand. Because when we talk about extending, can we extend too far? And and this, I suppose, leads on to uh, even Davidson's work, perhaps, uh, from 1987, talking about the perimeters of brand extension, which gives us a, a kind of a way to think about extending the brand and can we stretch the brand too far? In essence, going these no-go areas. And Davidson highlights too is that the further we move away from our core associations and what we're known for, it might make it a bit more difficult for the the consumer or or customer to perhaps um, see merit in what we're doing and, and I suppose, have a favourable attitude towards the the kind of new extension. And so does Davidson suggest there are areas that you can't go? Well, it just talks about the further you go away it makes it more difficult for your extension to be a success. So, for example, um, again, in teaching, I talk about different examples to students like BIC. Right? As, as an example, when I say that, I say, what do you think? And the, the reply is about pens or lighters. But actually in Greece, um, they have like women's tights, kind of leggings. Of, I'm probably getting maybe the, the actual name of the product incorrect. But apparently from the, the Greek people that I've also spoken to, it's quite a lot of women actually buy them. And it's not something that many UK and some other um, 
consumers from different parts of the world can can make that connection with. And I, I suppose arguably one of the most famous, although contested, is the the kind of Colgate beef lasagna, whether that is true or not. But I'm led to believe that that packaging exists in the, the kind of Museum of Brand Failure in London, uh, which, again, I need to make sure I get, get down to to actually see and, and confirm. But you've got, when it starts going further away from the core associations, it makes it difficult, some argue, for a consumer to make that connection. And then with it, in, impacting upon their attitudes, which, as again, if students that are perhaps listening to this this um, podcast know, is with regards to attitudes can influence behaviour. Not always, with regards to a, a kind of seamless correlation, but positive attitudes can lead on to a likelihood of behaviour, not not concrete. And and that's when we talk about the the kind of link it has then, as it were, to brand extension and whether it will be a success or not, and the attitudes that consumers or customers will have towards it. So presumably this is something something that the BBC is sort of hoping for when they extend something like Radio Radio 1 or Radio 2, that people like me that grew up with Radio 1 and then really didn't want to listen to Radio 2 because that's what our parents did, got a little bit lost. We got orphaned because there was nowhere else to go. So you ended up in the commercial radio stations. And presumably the BBC are hoping that though those sort of, I remember enjoying Radio 1, I might listen to a Radio 1 extension or a Radio 2 extension might, might draw us back in. Yeah, and I suppose like the BBC with their, their various radio stations, BBC Radio 1, Radio 2, etc., that's them leveraging, in essence, the associations people had with regards to the quality of broadcasting and so on, and being able to then extend that brand out. And then with it, BBC Radio 1, BBC Radio 2, BBC Radio 3, and so on, all have clearly differentiated target markets. So the, there will be a, a specific age and a profile, demographic profile that will perhaps listen to Radio 1 as opposed to Radio 2 and also Radio 3 and, and so on and so forth. And like any business, um, they want to, in essence, grow. And I know they're funded, in essence, by um, their licence fees and everything else and the government and so on. But they, they're doing that because there's also, an, a, a, like the, any brand operating within a market... They're, they're under threat. They're under threat from other commercial radio stations and they need to then make sure that they try and mitigate against that threat as well as capitalise upon opportunities. And they've got a really strong brand and they're trying to leverage that equity and hence why they've they've made the decision to then extend the brand further without uh, into these specific new stations, targeting obviously different uh, individuals or different segments of the market to um, listen to them as opposed to listen to anyone else. So we're sort of talking as though brand extension is the only thing you can do, but I think there are there are plenty of other methods you can do to capitalise on a brand. When you think about brand growth, and again, I, this, this is the way that I like to think about it and, and when I communicate out to any companies and students and whatever, is when you your job, in essence, as a brand manager is you're the custodian of that brand. And the way to think about it, in essence, is like you're the parent or guardian because it's your baby. And you're, you're tasked with making sure then that your baby grows and, and grows in the best possible way that it can. And you need to then try, as you would as a parent, think of all the best possible ways or methods to, in essence, continue to, in essence, nurture and feed 
your child as you would with your brand and, and ultimately make it go on to become a success. Um, and brands can then use different uh, elements such as brand growth like we've spoken about, but there's also other means about brand licensing where you can license your brand out and allow others to apply your brand name onto their products or services and pay you money um, for the privilege. Uh, and you could do that under strict guidance and, uh, and guidelines, um, albeit you need to be careful of who you allow to do that because there can be, uh, in essence, a loss of degree of control of the brand and perhaps how it's communicated out to the end consumer or customer, which could then potentially have impacts on your, your overall brand equity. So that needs to be closely managed. But it is a means, especially for internationalization, quickly, um, less risk perhaps on a company, as well as less resource intensive because they don't have to um, manage the brand and all these different new product categories or, or different categories that it might be within. Um, and you've also got brand alliances. There can sometimes be where you as a brand might have low brand equity, i.e. not many people are aware you exist and perhaps maybe just think you're an okay brand. They don't really feel too strongly one way or the other perhaps. And you could potentially partner with, with a, perhaps a stronger brand and leverage the associations that they have as well. Um, like Sony Ericsson. Sony Ericsson is a, a classic example of two brands coming together, working together to create a new product, which was a Sony Ericsson mobile phone. Sony were a technology brand, really, really strong, well known for that. Um, Ericsson had the know-how of the market and mobile phones. The two came together and for a period of time um, produced a, a really successful phone. But Again, like brand alliance, with brand alliances, there will always be someone perhaps that wants a bigger share of the pie. And like Sony, after they perhaps learned about the market, ultimately said, bye-bye, Ericsson, we no longer in essence need you. Mm -hmm. uh, they then launched their own mobile phones like Sony Xperia, etc. Um, because again, they're not having to share some of the, the, I suppose, revenue, but then with it, the profitability with someone else. So there's lots of different ways to grow a brand, but brand extension is the dominant form of, of growth um, because it's easier to extend a brand than it is to create a new brand and brand building takes time. Um, but I suppose you've also got for a company one other aspect that perhaps is, isn't spoken as as much as, as I, I suppose should happen is even things like brand acquisition because companies go on and acquire brands to protect their existing brands as well, not just to bring them into their portfolio, but it's to also protect their existing brands that they have in the marketplace that might be a bit under threat. So um, there's loads of different ways to, to grow a brand, and, and those are just some of the main major ones. I think that's a really interesting one. In fact, it's one we don't tend to talk about very much, that you can acquire a competitor or acquire a competitor brand either to grow it or to protect your own. Um, it, it's, a, it's not something that we tend to talk about very much. Yeah, well, look, look, at, look at Facebook. Um, fa Facebook acquired Instagram. They acquired WhatsApp. You need to think about, in essence, why they did that, because they, well, Meta, it's called now, that obviously owns Facebook. But they're doing that because the, if you don't spend time on Facebook and start looking at all the various ads, how are they going to then make, in essence, the money? So... They, they want you to spend as much of your time within their ecosystem as opposed to anywhere else. But also with it, when you talk about, and, and again, this comes on to loads of other things about brand architecture and everything else, 
Um, but they constantly remind you as well. So if you go into your WhatsApp or your, your Instagram, it will say from Facebook, I'm sure, or it might have changed now to Meta. As you can tell, I'm not um, social media savvy, um, getting on in my old age. Um, but it's but yeah, that, that's another reason why they do it. It's about trying to make sure that they also protect their existing brand. But at the same time, they can acquire other brands to bring these brands into their portfolio because it is also a quicker way to, um, in, in, in essence, take that brand that's already known within the market and has existing brand equity and bring that in in-house and then capitalise upon that with regards to the, the new consumer or customer base you've brought in and with regards to the revenue that you're going to generate and hopefully profitability further down the line. Uh, as, a, as opposed to simply trying to create a new brand to compete in different uh, categories because brands uh, or brand building isn't in essence just a one-off kind of project. It's a process and it will take time in essence to bear fruit. And this is why you then see some of the larger organisations that are very cash rich simply going on and, and acquiring brands as opposed to trying to create a new brand to go on and then compete. It's not to say that they don't do it, but it's much quicker and easier for them, especially if they've got the, the, the money at their disposal to acquire brands. So basically take out a potential threat or indeed something that's really grown and, and bring it into your own portfolio. Thomas, this is, this is, it's lovely hearing all about the brands. Can we talk a little bit about any sort of risks to do with brand extension? I mean, you, I mean, you mentioned the Colgate lasagna, which has always been one of our, I think one of our favourites. We've talked about it in the past. But are there any other risks to doing a brand extension? There's argued, or some argue that actually the, the impact of a failed brand extension doesn't really impact upon the parent brand. Some, some claim that it does. So again, the, the literature in, is quite mixed if you go and have a, a kind of look at it and read of it, especially in a quite recent um, journal article by Peng et al., uh, which I think was published just towards the end of the 2023, um, when they started to look at um, brand extension success, parent brand equity and kind of fit, etc. And again, they were highlighting about the 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 difference of findings based upon whether something fails. So some argue that if you stretch too far, it could impact the parent brand, but many argue that actually it, it doesn't. And what it comes down to, whether that brand extension succeeds or not, is not with regards to perhaps the associations that people might have towards the, the parent brand or indeed the new extension in the, in the respective category. But it's to do with your efforts as a, as a marketer, as a brand manager, and how you utilise what is your toolkit, um, which is your marketing mix. Um, so again, risks, some argue um, it could impact, some say it doesn't, some say just go for it. And you can argue that and have a look at some of the brand extensions that, that have happened, um, like Virgin. If you have, go have a look at uh, all the different extensions that Virgin have been involved in over the years, you'll see that many have succeeded, but many have also failed, like Virgin Cola, etc., and Virgin Brides, and they've got other successful extensions such as Virgin Money, etc. So just go for it, is what some people say. But it depends upon the company's uh, aversion to risk as well. And most businesses tend to be quite risk-averse, which then means when they do extend a brand, they tend to be safe. They tend to they tend to stay within, the, in essence, the line of what they're known for 
as opposed to perhaps going too far away. Because again, if you go on and have a quick search online, you'll see numerous brand extension failures, such as like Coors Water and so on. Yes, um, you're right. Most companies are brand are risk averse. And there is, of course, a danger of over um, extending yourself as a marketer so that you can only concentrate on so many brands and so many messages at once. There comes a point where you either expand your marketing department along with your branding yep. or you say maybe we look at other methods. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And that's something as well that the, the BBC are going to have to consider with the, the radio because it's resource commitment. It's not just financial capital that might need to be done in essence to also promote these these new um, extensions but you've also got people that need to manage them and you, you talk about uh, brands having in essence people to, to management because if you don't have the effective management in place the, the brand itself will, will not perhaps go on to achieve what it could if indeed it doesn't um, follow the, the principles of effective brand management um, like as I think Ritson calls it diagnosis strategy and tactics which is just really a shortened version of the Solstack framework um, throughout, but it needs to be effectively managed. Thomas McAlinden, thank you very much for that overview of brand extensions. And if anyone's suddenly wondering where the BBC new extensions are, they have to be the BBC, they have to go out to public consultation. So it could be a while before we actually see those and see how well they work. Thomas McAlinden, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Kevin. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College. Training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.